listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. I am going to be joined today by Chris Wark, who's diagnosed with colon cancer at 26 years old. He was immediately told to get surgery and being the amazing Christian he is, he prayed to God for an answer. Guess what? Today we're going to be discussing what that answer was and how it helped Chris heal his body using food. How are you, Chris? Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you here. Um, I don't know how much you know about our company, but we mostly, our audience is women, I would say 40 to 60 years old on some medication, battling inflammation, and have always tried dieting and just being introduced to actually discovering what's inside of their food. And we're teaching them how to read the labels, which ingredients promote inflammation, which ingredients can be healing to the gut, to the brain, to the body. Also mindset that like you are enough, you can heal your body, you can do this. So I think that we have a lot of synergy and um, it's going to be a good conversation for people to hear your perspective and how you turn to food to help you. So a little quick background, let us know um, about you and your story. Yeah, well... um... Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing because food can be medicine, it can be medication, and it can be poison. And uh, making the right food choices can make a huge impact in your immediate life (laughs) and in your lifespan, how long you live, and your health span. And that's the number of healthy years that you enjoy. And uh, there are far too many people in the United States who are suffering from chronic diseases that are largely due to our diet and lifestyle choices. I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in December, 2003. I was 26 years old. I was a newlywed. I had no idea what cancer was, never had any friends or family members go through it. And uh, all I knew was I was having abdominal pain and uh, for the better part of a year and it gradually got worse and eventually went to the doctor, got a colonoscopy which was highly unusual for a 26-year-old, but they did some other x-rays and things and you know, couldn't figure out what was wrong. And um, during that procedure, they found a golf ball-sized tumor in my colon. That's the large intestine, if anyone t- is not aware. If you'd asked me what the colon is at that time, I w- couldn't have told you. <laughs> wow. 26-year-olds don't think about their colons. <laughs> okay. Absolutely not. Way better things to think about. Yeah. And I was told, look, we got to get you into surgery right away and get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And it was confirmed colon cancer. They did a biopsy. And so at that point, like I said, I had no experience with cancer. I was completely clueless. I was your typical clueless cancer patient. And the problem with the medical industry, especially cancer, but this is common in almost all aspects of medicine, is that patients are rushed into treatments out of fear Mm -hmm. with very little knowledge. And they make fear-based decisions. And fear-based decisions are almost always the wrong decision. You know, in life, you need to make decisions based on facts and based on faith, not based on fear. 
And uh, fear puts you in a state of irrational thought. You can't think clearly, rationally, objectively, logically. You cannot think well. You cannot use and exercise wisdom when you're in a state of fear. And so cancer patients are exploited in this way. They're uh, terribly afraid after a diagnosis, which is for many people can be PTSD inducing. The trauma of the diagnosis itself causes PTSD symptoms in many cancer patients. And stress on yourselves, right? Right. It's a stress. It's a, it's a major, it's, I mean, it's a catastrophic life event in a lot of ways, right? It's like someone's telling you they want a divorce, right? Or losing your business or bankruptcy or something. So it's, it's a major life event. And um, so there I was with this uh, diagnosis and the doctor said, look, we got to get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And I was like, okay. So this was just a few days before Christmas. And if you don't know how the cancer industry works, they move really fast. So as soon as you get the diagnosis, it's immediately, we got to get you into treatment, get you on the conveyor belt. And depending on the type of cancer, it might be surgery right away. It might be chemo right away. It might be radiation right away. But usually it's just within a few days of the diagnosis. And you, have, you don't have any time to think or read or research. I mean, you're still in shock. Yeah. Listen, like, was there any listening to gut instincts at all? Did you feel anything or are you just confused? Not at that time. At that time, I was, I was in shock. I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I got to have surgery. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, and you know, when you're in shock, you kind of lose, in some ways, you lose your motivation. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of goes numb. You become despondent. You know, it's like, and I was definitely in that state uh, where I was just kind of I don't know. I just didn't know what to think. And I, I didn't, I was trying to make sense of my life. And so I postponed the surgery because it was a few days before Christmas, just for the sole fact that I didn't want to be in the hospital on Christmas day. So I was like, that sounds so depressing. Like I can at least yeah. have a normal Christmas with my family and do the family stuff. So I went in on December 30th, I uh, had a third of my large intestine removed uh, well, that's obviously where the tumor was, and they took out a bunch of lymph nodes. When I woke up, woke up, they said it's worse than we thought. Wow, you're stage three C, which the next step for you is going to be nine to twelve months of chemotherapy. So, you know, up until that point, chemo was not a part of the conversation because they the doctors assumed I was stage two, mm-hmm. maybe stage one, but stage two. It was more likely. And uh, stage three means it's spread to lymph nodes. Stage four means it's in multiple organ sites. And so, you know, I was on some heavy pain medication, right, in the hospital recovering from surgery. And I just sort of was just like, okay, you know, this is my life now. A couple things happened in the hospital. The first thing that happened was the very first meal that they served me after cutting out a third of my large intestine was a sloppy joe. That takes me to, that's what the kids are eating at school. Right. A sloppy joe. It's just nasty. You know, they're just nasty. Like, who likes sloppy joes? Nobody. Like, you ever read the labels on typical bread uh, that's getting delivered to the hospital or cafeterias? I mean, we're talking about bread with over 40 ingredients. And I always say, if you don't recognize an ingredient, neither does your body. And so, what was your eating? Like, it sounds like you're analyzing the sloppy joe when it comes out. Did you care about food prior to this moment? I had a background in, in healthy stuff. And what I, what I okay. mean by healthy stuff is my mom, my mom used to shop at health food stores. She still does, but you know, used to go to the hole in wall health food stores. So we always had some healthy stuff in the house. Like okay. I was the only kid I knew that had sprouts 
in the fridge. Okay. Right. And that had like yeah. the peanut butter that has to be stirred. Yeah. So, so you were aware. There was always a battle over the cereals, like, you know, me wanting uh-huh. sugary cereal and not getting it. Things like that. I was the only kid I knew that had kefir in the fridge. Okay. In the 80s. Okay. So yeah, my mom was was definitely into health and was a voracious reader, was constantly reading books about health and wellness and longevity and all this kind of stuff. And um, most of those books she had bought, you know, was buying from the health food store bookshelf. Yeah. Yeah. That's how my kids feel about me. So like I was aware. Yeah. But she wasn't like today's crunchy moms. She wasn't reading all the labels, right? She, okay. I mean, I had my first birthday at a McDonald's. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. we still ate fast food and junk food and processed food and microwave food, but she had a health consciousness. And then when I was in college, I worked at a Wild Oats, which got bought out by Whole Foods. Uh-huh. So you knew the idea. And, you know, I myself mm-hmm. grew up on eating terrible food and yada, yada. But you said your mom was into that stuff, but she never read the labels. In the 1990s, there was 10,000 grocery items. And today there's over 50,000 grocery items and there's more additives being added inside of our food every single week. And so there's something to be said for cancer on the rise and kids being diagnosed with, you know, adult chronic diseases and ADHD and depression and all these things are at an all time high. And it's because of how much our food has been altered and has changed. So tell me, let's circle back around to that sloppy Joe, because I'm curious, what were your thoughts when the sloppy Joe showed up? Because most people would eat it. Well, first I thought, you know, like I said, I'm like, gross. Like, who wants a sloppy Joe? They don't serve them in restaurants. Nobody likes this food. This is the food they serve at summer camp or in the military or if you're in prison. Like, why are they serving this in hospitals? Yeah. And so that was a bit of a, you know, kind of like a bummer. Like, really? This is my lunch? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I ate it for sure. I definitely ate it because I was really hungry. I hadn't eaten in two or three days at that point. So I definitely ate it. Mm -hmm. And I ate the jello that was with it or whatever else. (laughs) And then um, a few days later, you know, as I was recovering well, they told me, okay, you're going to get to go home today. And my surgeon came in to check on me. And we were having a conversation. I said, hey, is there is there any food I need to avoid? Because they cut me open. They took out a third of my large intestine. Everything you eat is going through there, right? It's all going down the tube. <laughs> and so I, just in the back of my mind, common sense, I guess, I was just like, just want to make sure there isn't any food that's going to like screw up, the, you know, melt the stitches, yeah. right? Like is hot sauce a problem or? <laughs> we need to be careful here. Yeah. And his answer was no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. Heavier than a beer. Interesting. That was his little joke. Yeah. I'm sure he told that he told everybody after abdominal surgery, right? It's like his little his little favorite little joke to tell people. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, that was the all the nutrition advice, all the dietary advice I got. And so I left the hospital, went home, and the wheels are turning. You know, I'm thinking, why? Like, I know what healthy food is. I worked in a health food store. Like, I I wasn't eating it. Right. But I definitely knew there's a difference between apples and oranges and Twinkies. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so even just a chicken breast versus a sloppy Joe. So um, anyway, I, uh, I got home. I was recovering from surgery, weaning myself off the pain medication. And as I did, as I really sobered up, I started to think about my life and my future. And, and I had seen cancer patients in the world, in the real world. And I'd seen what chemotherapy drugs do to humans. And it's frightening, mm-hmm. right? It was frightening. And 
you know, the first time you see, I can, I mean, I'll never forget the very first time I saw a cancer patient, I was a little kid and I was like, mommy, what's wrong with that guy? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was emaciated, no hair, yellow skin, mask on his face. And yeah, I mean, it was like, what happened to him? Yeah. Made an impression. Of course. And so I thought, well, this is to, this is me. This is what I'm to become. Mm-hmm. And was that your only kind of option? Next up is chemotherapy? That was the only option I was told mm-hmm. that I had. Mm-hmm. And so I had an increasing internal resistance to um, chemotherapy. You know, I didn't, just didn't want it. I was like, I, you know, I don't want to do that to myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have that done to me. I knew chemotherapy drugs were harsh and toxic and poisonous. And, and uh, who wants to suffer? Not me. And, you know, cancer patients are misled. They're told that there's this language that's been, been around for a long time, this, the military language that is associated with cancer treatment. Cancer's a battle. It's a war. It's a fight. You're a warrior, right? And if you convince people that they're at war, that they're a warrior and there's a battle, it's easier to also convince them that they have to suffer. So the association of suffering and war and you're a fighter, right? The reality is there's no one in the cancer world, no pa- the patients aren't fighting. They're not fighting at all. They're just being poisoned and they're suffering. That's not what fighting is. But they use this, you know, sort of propagandistic marketing military language to make patients think they're being really tough if they say yes to chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had this conflict, internal conflict. I didn't want to do chemotherapy. I didn't know what else to do. And I prayed about it. And as you said before, my wife and I are are believers, we're Christians. And I just was like, God, I need help. Mm -hmm. I need help. I don't know what to do. If there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. And I I trust you. You know, I just trust you to supply all my needs and to to work all things for my good. It's Romans 8, 28. And so two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a guy who was a friend of my dad's. And this man lived in Alaska and he sent me a book about healing cancer with raw food. It was written by a guy named George Malcolmus who had healed his colon cancer like 30 years prior with a raw food diet. No surgery, no chemo, no radiation. He radically changed his diet and his body healed. It didn't heal overnight. It took about a year. Okay. And uh, I was so encouraged and inspired by his testimony. And I just thought, well, wait a second. If the body creates cancer, then the body can heal it. And if this guy healed, maybe I can heal. And the question is, you know, if you think about how many people have to climb Mount Everest for you to believe it's possible, right? Doesn't mean it's easy, but if someone can do it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Someone has done it, it's possible. And so I immediately, immediately converted to a raw food diet. There was no deliberation. It was like, I'm doing this. And I went straight to... No meat, just fruits and vegetables. It's a vegan diet. Raw fruits and vegetables Yep. only. Okay. And I went to Whole Foods. I bought a juicer. They used to sell juicers at Whole Foods. They don't anymore. And I filled up the cart with vegetables. And I was like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Was there any like any vegetables in particular or fruits that you felt more strongly about after reading that book or ones you wanted to steer clear of? Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. I love the idea of 
eating a diet that was only raw fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Garden of Eden. It was so interesting to me. Like I'd never even heard of it. And now it's like lots of people have heard of the raw diet, raw vegan diet. There's all these influencers on YouTube and Instagram and they're all, you know, young and beautiful and look at my watermelon, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, for lunch or whatever. But it wasn't like that back then. Back then in January 2004, the raw food diet was a diet for sick people and weirdos. Mm-hmm. And I was both. So it was perfect for me. Mm-hmm. I, I realized that I needed to eat a ton of vegetables and I started juicing carrots. And so what I figured out was after getting some recipe books and raw food books and all this kind of stuff, I just figured out that I wanted to overdose on nutrition. That was just this sort of idea that popped in my head. Like I'm going to, I'm going to overdose on nutrition if that's even possible, mm-hmm. but I want to flood my body with so much nutrition, vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and all these thousands of phytochemicals, phytonutrients in plant food. I want to give it an abundance right? Of tools, of resources that it can use to repair, regenerate, detoxify, and heal. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a roadmap per se, but I had a framework, which is just tons of plant food, all organic, all raw, plus fresh juices. And so what that quickly evolved to is I realized, well, okay, I'll get up in the morning. I'm going to make 64 ounces of juice. That's five pounds of carrots minimum plus other vegetables like cucumber, celery, beet, ginger, turmeric, apple, you know, just tons of produce in the juicer, make enough juice for the day, drink it throughout the day. And that was good through the morning. And then it's like, okay, what am I going to eat for lunch? How am I going to do this? And I just realized, well, giant salad, giant salad. That's easy. I like salads. I just make a, the biggest salad I've ever eaten in my life. And so broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, onions, mushrooms, peppers, sprouts, you know, nuts and seeds, like pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds, almonds, walnuts. And what are you doing for dressing? Dressing would be uh, olive oil lemon. and apple cider vinegar, okay. lemon juice, and then sprinkling tons of, as I was reading and learning more, it's like, oh, all these, all these incredible antioxidant, anti-cancer compounds in spices. So mm-hmm. cayenne pepper, turmeric powder, garlic powder, like just Italian seasoning, which of course is oregano and, and lots of little herbs. So I was just loading it up with all these spices apple cider vinegar, olive oil, also sauerkraut, which just has so much flavor. I mean, you put sauerkraut on anything and it's like amazing. Yeah. Or kimchi, which is like a spicy Korean version of sauerkraut. So after just a little bit of tinkering and experimentation, I just, I created what's called the giant cancer fighting salad that I've kind of become known for. And it's on the cover of my cookbook, Beat Cancer Kitchen. That's a picture of the salad and it's beautiful. Also has avocado on there. I mean, it's just loaded Every vegetable, right? It's, that was the goal. It's like, I want to eat every vegetable every day. Of course, I wasn't eating every vegetable. But I was eating a lot of vegetables. And then I realized after making that salad and eating it, it's like, man, this is good. And I'm filled, filled me up and i am got energy and I liked it. Then I realized, well, I can eat this again for dinner. I can eat this twice a day, every day. Mm-hmm. And there's no other way I can maximize my anti-cancer nutrition. This is it. Like, this is the pinnacle. So this is what I need to eat. So every day, that's what I did. Juicing in the morning, make enough juice throughout the day, giant salad for lunch and dinner. And then I would snack on fresh fruit sometimes or make a fruit smoothie in, you know, mid-afternoon or sometimes in the morning. And uh, I kept it really, really simple because I knew it had to be sustainable, right? And the problem with a lot of diet programs is there's too many options, there's too many decisions, there's too much thinking involved, and it really needs to be 
almost automated. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it became very, very, <laughs> it just became so absolutely simple. Like I knew exactly what to buy at the grocery store. I ate every single thing I bought. Nothing was wasted. And I started feeling great. I just started feeling really good within a week of doing it. The first few days eating that way, you probably will feel bad. Yeah. Because you're detoxing from so many too much sugar, too much salt, too much animal protein and fat, caffeine, all the weird stimulants and, and excitotoxins that you find in processed food. Like you're going to have withdrawals from those things and detox symptoms too. And it's, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Point is, you just feel like crap, usually for a few days when you stop eating man made food, processed food, and junk food. And so, but yeah, by about a weekend, I was feeling awesome. And that was when I had my first oncology appointment. And, you know, word had kind of gotten around that I was thinking about not doing chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and that I had started eating this weird diet. (laughs) And people in my life were freaking out in the best way they could, trying to talk me out of it. Okay. And of course, they because they love me and they had yeah. good intentions, but it, it, they were not not helpful at all. It just created more stress and anxiety. And that's this is what happens, you know, when you step outside of sort of like the mainstream world, you lose support, right? Your friends and family they don't understand, and they don't know how to help you. They don't know how to support you. They just think uh, he's lost his mind, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Like, and they just slowly back away, and that can be really hard. What's really hard is like if you pray for something and you get an answer to prayer and you take action like to do that thing and then everyone around you says, don't, no, you're making a mistake. Why would you do that? That's stupid. That's really hard. Yeah. Like, did God answer my prayer or not? You know, everyone else, Mm -hmm. everyone's saying, no, I believe he did. Yeah. (laughs) I prayed and this showed up and it was like, I'm doing it. So does the oncologist know about this, this decision you made when you walk into his office? He did not know. We go to the clinic. We're sitting in the waiting room. And I talk about this in my book in great detail. It's a pretty fun story. Okay. But the book's called Chris Beat Cancer for anybody who wants to read it. But in the oncologist's waiting room, I'm watching TV and out comes Jack LaLanne. Do you know who Jack LaLanne is? I do not. Should I? Yeah. I should. Jack LaLanne is, he's dead now, but he was the very first health and wellness fitness influencer in America. He had a black and, a show on TV when it was black and white. Okay. A fit health and fitness show. Mm-hmm. And so, and he just a legend. He was good friends with Paul Bragg. And but he comes out in his probably in his 80s, comes on this morning show and uh just starts going off. This is the reason we're all so sick. We're eating all this man-made food, processed food, and junk food. You need to eat fruits and vegetables and juice. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Yeah. I can't believe this is on right now in the cancer clinic. Like while I'm sitting and I turned to my wife, I'm like, can you believe this is on right now? And she was like, well, that's pretty weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, see, now the cancer clinics all have programmed television. They don't put it on the Today Show and just let the TV play. Yeah. Get you in the mindset. It's pre-programmed with all their propaganda crap. Yep. To give you, you're going to have that decision. Yeah. Concluding your thoughts for you. Uh-huh. So... Praise God that was on because it was just a little tiny. I mean, you know, when you're in a when you're in such a desperate state of your life, like I was, I mean, every little, it's like, well, the best analogy is like if you've ever been hiking, there's always that moment in the hike where you're like, are we lost? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> are we gonna make it back? <laughs> yeah, like, but you know, you're on a trail, 
So you just kind of keep going and then eventually you see a little sign and you're like, oh, oh, good. Yes. Okay. There's a sign. Yeah. This is the way, you know, and you keep going. And so that was like a little signpost, right? Just a little sign. And I was desperate for those little signs, those little signposts, those little reminders, that little encouragement, like along the way, just uh-huh. because fear and doubt are big threats. They're big threats and they're constantly trying to steal your joy, steal your confidence and erode your hope and your faith. And so, yeah, you need those little, those little reminders. And I call, I like to call them mini miracles, just those little mini miracles. So anyway, that was definitely one. Then we go back and see the oncologist and he just treated me like, you know, just any other cancer patient, right? It's flipping through my chart. Like, okay, well, you, you know, you stage three C colon cancer. It's very aggressive in young adults. You're going to, here's the chemo regimen we're going to give you, which is 5-FU and leucovorin at the time. 5-FU, by the way, if anybody doesn't know, fluorocil, the nickname for 5-FU is five feet under. Oh. Isn't that fun? That's scary. Uh, There's another chemo out there that they, the nickname for it is Red Devil. Anyway, and then, you know, he's, he's just kind of giving me the boilerplate, like cancer patient information. And I happen to say, well, what about the raw food diet? Can I do that? And he didn't know I was doing, I was, I'd been eating that way yeah. for a week and feeling good. And he was like, no, you know, you can't do that. It'll fight the chemo. Weird thing to say. And then I said, well, are there any alternative therapies available or, and at that point, I mean, just two questions mm-hmm. and his demeanor, it was like he had, was out of patience. Two questions was his limit. And he just, it's like something flipped and he just started sort of talking down to me and, and, you know, he had just all this stuff sort of pre-prepared telling me why, if you don't do chemotherapy, you're insane. That's what he said verbatim. And then he just proceeded to keep talking, you know, just trying to talk me into it, basically saying, Mm -hmm. if you don't do this, you're going to die and used so much fear, masterfully used fear to manipulate me into saying yes to chemotherapy. And I left that meeting and I went to the desk and I made an appointment to get a port put in in several weeks time to start chemo. Mm -hmm. And then my wife and I walked to her car and sat in her car and just cried. I mean, I was just so devastated. And this is what cancer clinics do to people every day. I mean, they just crush your hope. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fear factory, basically. It's what they know, right? Doctors don't get educated on nutrition. It's like... That's not their routine of what they go through. It's just, it's not taught. Right. They don't even know it's an option. That's correct. It's not the doctor's faults, but they also are trained in what I would say in marketing oh, yeah. and business and patient retention. Mm-hmm. One of the things he said to me during his diatribe was just in the middle of ranting, he was like, look, and look, man, I'm not saying this because I need your business, Yeah. which is a tell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a Freudian slip. You know, because I wasn't thinking about the business of cancer treatment at all, right? Yeah. No patient is. But I've since learned, I've been way down the rabbit hole and I talk about, there's four chapters in my book dedicated to basically expose on the cancer industry, pharmaceutical industry, medical industry, all the corruption, all the studies that their own industry has done on themselves demonstrating how corrupt it is. It's not conspiracy theory. I mean, they, they know how corrupt it is. And we got a lot of good people working in a system that's horribly corrupt, but that's their profession and they're just kind of stuck in it, you know? And that, that's what I would say about most doctors. They mean well, but they're, they're paid really well by a, to treat patients in a way that usually does not produce a cure. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that concluded my meeting with the oncologist and several we- weeks went by and 
I'm just fortunate and thankful that I had time. I had some time. They weren't trying to get me in chemo tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I was still recovering from surgery. And so I just went home and fired up the juicer. And I, I prayed more than I've ever prayed in my life at that, up to that point. I was just got deep in the word and prayer and reading and researching and was like, I, what else am I going to do? Let me just, right now, all I got is Jesus and a juicer. Nobody else understands, but I want to live more than anything. And I call this the beat cancer mindset, by the way that strong will to live, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get well. And that means changing your life. That doesn't mean doing the strongest chemo necessarily. It means being willing to change every single aspect of your life. And I was. And it started with the diet. But there was so much more that I changed. And, uh, and you know, one of the big things that I see over and over in, in the cancer community, in our community especially, is, um, is how powerful stress is and how it can destroy your health. And the number one thing you can do to help yourself is forgive the people who've hurt you because many cancer patients and many sick people, unhappy, depressed, discouraged, suicidal people are holding on to anger and bitterness and resentment toward people in their past. And when you hold on to those emotions, they are not just mentally toxic, they're physically toxic. They produce a physical response in your body, adrenaline and cortisol. And those two hormones suppress your immune function. It's real. It's no, this is not an esoteric idea. I mean, this is validated, scientifically documented mm-hmm. over and over and over. We know what stress hormones do to the body and they're destructive over time. And so I just made a decision to forgive every person who had ever hurt me. And it took, it took time to do it. You can't just sit down and do it in one sitting. But it was incredibly powerful. And it's a big part of our, of our program that we take people through. Not just the nutrition part, also physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. They all work together. You can't ignore one because, you know, in my opinion, 90% of health is not the physical stuff right? It's the mental, emotional, and spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're not healthy in those departments, well, you will self-sabotage. You will find ways to wreck your physical health. Yeah. I always say forgiveness doesn't change your past either. It only changes your future That's great. by doing that. hundred percent agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it changes your present. Yep. It changes you now. It's so powerful. And so I worked through, you know, forgiving everyone, I stayed the course on nutrition. I found a naturopathic doctor and an integrative oncologist. And when the the day came for me to go show up for chemo, I just realized, you know what? Not now. This is not for me. Maybe later. But I was so excited about transforming my life and my health and, and being on that healthy path that I was like, I'm not getting off this path. Like I'm going further. And chemo is always, always going to be there. If I can't get well, if I can't heal, if I can't restore my health, okay. And so, spoiler, <laughs> it's been almost 20 years. I didn't die. Yeah. I got well. I restored my health. It's a beautiful story, Jesus and the Juicer. But tell me, what what point did you have any markers showing that the choices you were making and the things that you were implementing, the foods you were eating, your mindset, when did you know that you were kind of at a turning point? Yeah, it was progressive. You know, we were checking blood work every month, checking, uh, having CT scans every six months. And it's like, you know, when they take a tumor out, they can't get all the cancer. It's not possible, especially when you're stage three. Mm -hmm. You have circulating tumor cells and circulating cancer stem cells. And that's the point of the chemo because they know this guy's got cancer cells. They're going to form new tumors, 
right? Yeah. It's just a matter of time. And so the entire intention of what I did was to, to strengthen my immune system and detoxify my body and improve my health, to bring my health back up and my body back up into a state that was inhospitable to cancer. And this is important because the difference between someone with tumors and no tumors is your immune system. And so everything that I did was to that end. When, when you eat fruits and vegetables, you're strengthening your immune system. When you exercise, you're strengthening your immune system. When you forgive, you're strengthening your immune system. When you spend time in nature, you're strengthening your immune system. So it's like all roads lead to back to the immune system. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't like one day I had crazy cancer numbers and the other next day, you know, they were normal. But I've interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of cancer survivors on my podcast on crispycancer.com. And uh, it's on Apple and Spotify. It's easy to find. But I've interviewed people who've healed all types and stages of cancer, terminal patients, stage four, pancreatic cancer patients, like incredible stories, better than mine. And so all that to say, it's just, I hope your audience starts to get this idea and understand that cancer can be healed. It can be healed. People have healed. They are healing. They will continue to heal. But you're not going to find that information from your doctor. You're going to have to find it yourself and learn from people who've done it. And that's, again, why I do these interviews with other survivors, because there's just, we can learn from each other. We can help each other. And uh, I used the Everest analogy earlier. If you're going to climb Mount Everest, you're not just going to fly to Nepal and try to figure it out, right? You need to train and read and research and learn from people who've done it and then hire a Sherpa to help you, right? Because you could die, yeah. right? The stakes are that high, but it's still doable. So this is what I do. This is, it's turned into my life. I started blogging about it in 2010 and now we're in 2013. And it's like, this is my full-time passion and career as a speaker and author. And, uh, it's hard to explain what I do, but as a yeah. patient advocate and survivor and, and just general health and wellness enthusiast. I love it. I love your passion for it. It's definitely needed because like you said, no people aren't being educated on this and no one's talking about it. And you don't see, you know, billboards telling people how to beat cancer. There's none of that. It's all medical, medical. So shedding light on this occurrence of cancer, because so many people out there are diagnosed with cancer or have been diagnosed with cancer and they, you know, are turning to a healthier lifestyle in hopes of how can this help me? So your story um, does come as very informative. Everybody go check out Chris Wark. You can go to his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. Follow him on social media at chrisbeatcancer. And you also have a cookbook, right? Yeah. Beat Cancer Kitchen. And a daily devotional called Beat Cancer Daily. And I just want to make sure everybody knows just one quick thing is that you don't have to say no to chemo. You don't have to say no to what your doctor tells you to do. Everyone has to make their own decisions and their own journey. But there's so much that you can do to help yourself in between doctor visits, right? Healing happens at home. So what you're doing in between treatment can make all the difference between survival and death. And we have tons of people, thousands and thousands of people in our community that they're, they're doing everything the doctor says and more. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm here to do is just help encourage you to take control of your life and your health because those daily choices that you make can have huge, Influence. huge consequences, good or bad. Yeah. For sure. And 
I say prevention, prevention. Instead of waiting until you're sick and looking for a cure, keep your body in the best condition for your health. So I appreciate you, Chris. So very nice to meet you. And I hope that we connect again soon. Okay. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Hold up. 